0: Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 96, and I am your host, Juliana Levin. And joining me is my co-host, Pontus Bockman. Hey son, hey son! Hey, so, yeah, Back in the saddle! You- Yes, as, as you probably gathered, our listeners, uh, Andres is not around. Uh, he is otherwise engaged. Yeah, we say. have mis-
1: we have misplaced him this week. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be just me and Pontus, <laughs> and actually, it's gonna be another episode of interviews.
1: Oh, we have been very busy this autumn, as most uh, listeners probably know. With going to conferences and stuff. So uh, Andras recorded a number of interviews uh, at CICAP Fest, which was between the 29th of September and 1st of October. So this episode, we will release those.
0: Yeah. And the CICAP Fest is uh, another great uh, conference that happens in Italy. Well, CICAP is an Italian skeptic organization that puts it on every year. So. Um, Actually, another one to go to, I guess, on our list. Yes, I've, n- I've <laughs> never been.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: um, th- it's normally autumn. I guess autumn is the time for all the conferences out there, and uh, it's been really busy. We just want to give also a shout out to Richard Saunders and his Skeptic Zone podcast.
1: Yes, this la- last episode was uh, uh, a lot about us. Actually, I'm very uh, flattered about that. By that, they talk Summer, about. Th- yeah. There's an interview that they're on. Did with us uh, in Wrocław, uh, yep. in the at the European Skeptics Congress, and then uh, there's also an interview with Deborah Hyde where she talks about the Occam's Awards. So of course that brings our name up again. So thank you very much, Richard. Uh, very nice episode. We
0: really appreciate it a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, It's been great. And uh, also for those who don't know, The Skeptic Zone is uh, one of the first skeptic podcasts out there ever aired. And it's been going on for ages. And yeah. it's really great.
1: Since 2008, so, I think. It's,
0: yeah, it's amazing. It's mm. 2008. But yeah. mm. So hold on. They celebrate 10 years next year.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah.
0: Incredible. So for those who, who never listened to it, Su- subscribe it's, it's a great show and we are going to be all over episode number 470 wow <laughs> yeah if you, th- if you think about it we are only babies 96 episodes in <laughs> <laughs> all right so i guess there's not much else left to say but go straight into the show and uh, listen to the interviews from italy
3: yes let's do it Okay, we are finally here at ChicUp Fest, where we unfortunately missed the first day, but uh, looking forward to the next two. And I'm standing here in the cloakroom with Francesco Grassi, who is uh, the author of a book titled Crop Circles, Signs of Intelligence, uh, which is available on uh, iBookstore and uh, Amazon as well. Um, so, Francesco, are you actually doing or making crop circles?
2: Yes, I'm. I'm doing during these years crop circle. I started uh, to make crop circles in 24 uh, when I went to UK and I to learn the techniques and the guys there. So I learned the th- techniques how to do that, and I when I come back to Italy, I started to create my own crop circles in Italy. Okay, but. Uh, n- I'm not only a circle maker as they say because you are circle makers if you create crop circles but I'm uh, a researcher so I started researching this subject since uh, around the 2000 so I, I investigated a lot of myth, legends around the crop circles and I, and I wrote uh, this book just to collect everything in, in one book so a- anyone can know everything on the crop circle subject but yes but uh, I create crop circle I'm a circle maker. That's wonderful
3: and uh, I, I'm a whole Holding your book in my hand, and uh, yeah, on the front of the book there is a beautiful, beautiful they created crop circle, which is not only a circle; it's um a it's a piece of art
2: yeah yeah and
3: that's beautiful and and you told me earlier that that is your own work
2: yeah yeah it's uh, uh, if you can uh, find over the internet you will see this is, this is a formation in Italy in Piedmont uh, it, it was uh, I, I made that with uh, seven seven in total people we were and it was in 2011. So we, we created that in June 2011. It's kind of a seven-point uh, star with, uh, you know, it's a kind of flower with, uh, with, uh, with petals and so on. But th- there is also an encoded message there in ASCII. So if you are an ASCII <laughs> expert, you can find what's written there. Uh, it's very intriguing. But uh, it started like this specific crop circle started as a, a social experiment because I wanted to do a crop circle, avoid to, to saying to anyone that I did it, like it happens actually. And then I started collecting all the reactions from the believers. So I collect everything and I can show and I can prove in the, in the final chapter of the book that uh, the microbe circle creates Everything that it's created around all the crop circles that are the myth now. So, like what? What are those things that, that it creates? For instance, they say that this is impossible. This is genuine. This is alien because it's written. I can't re- reveal to you. It's written Enkia. Enkia is uh, is a kind of extraterrestrial or the deities from the Sumerian um, era. So, because uh, we were in 2011, we were um, waiting for the 2012. You remember that? Uh, the, oh yeah. No, yeah. something should be Nibiru, should happen. And yeah, in Nibiru. So, but uh, Enkia was uh, the the captain, let's say, of the extraterrestrial in Nibiru. So that was just uh, to give uh, uh, you know um, an input for the people to start thinking and elaborating idea around that. And there are also some casual inputs there. So Enkia is written there. Nothing else is written there, but they found a lot of other information coded in some, some uh, tuft, you know, some um, um, wheat that we left standing in circular form. They said the constellation, they said everything, they counted, they, they went uh, to a specific African Geogra- uh, geographical points because with the coordinates and say that the extraterrestrials want to say to the humanities that we have to give uh, water because there is uh, suns uh, and uh, sorry so if you find that over the internet, you can find it's me it's me it's <laughs> crop circle, it's me
3: that's brilliant and um, how, how did you how did you get into this whole whole thing? How did you get interested in in crop circles
2: i I have been always interested in UFOs and strange things when I was younger, so crop circles sorry, have you ever been a believer in uFOs not actually. when I was um, you know thirteen I, I I read a lot of books. But um, yeah, I was in curious, but uh, I didn't was too much believer. I I like to, to think that some someone is going to is, is going to to the earth and, and so on. But uh, I I stayed there and then uh, uh, and then I found CheekUp, and then I started to to use my researches and, my, and to to empower the, the, this this organization and then. In 1999, 2000, I started to to investigate the crop circles because it appeared a scientific manuscript where some kind of scientist proved that some energies created these shapes into the weeds. So, you know, because I'm an electronical engineer, so I wasn't curious because it's impossible. So I started to uh, investigate these scientific manuscripts, and then we, I published with other two other two guys, three in total, a scientific manuscript uh, proving that everything is false, is, is, not, is fake. And this is as well in, in the book. This is the scientific part of my research.
3: Do you also give um, a bit of a historical overview of crop circles? Yeah. Uh, without giving away too much of that what's included in the book because it's probably the best for everyone to, to read it if they're interested uh, how long did they ba- get they back when did this whole mania of, of crop circles start
2: yeah the, the phenomenon started in England because it's uh, an English phenomenon it started around uh, 1980 so okay. it's quite young phenomenon so there n- have not been any ancient uh, crop know, circles that no. we know of some people uh, tried to find, you know, like the UFOs, tried to find in the past folkloric uh, um, t- um, uh, newspaper or yeah. books where to try to find. But uh, I show in the book that uh, there is, uh, you know, some, uh, something that you're going to push and to force, to, 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 yeah. to see something that there is, there is not there. Um, but the phenomenon started in 1980 because two guys from England uh, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley Doug and Dave, very famous Doug and Dave. They started doing this in 1978 because Doug Bauer was in Australia in 1968, and um, he was, um, you know, uh, captured by the Tully the Tully Nest phenomenon. It was kind of uh, close encounter of the second uh, kind, yeah. yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Because there, there is some something in the lagoon that was rotating and. Uh, because he was an artist, um, he went back to the UK, where he was born, and with his friend Dave, he said, OK, why we, don't, we cannot create uh, a circular shape in the weeds so the people can, <laughs> uh, can, can think that uh, um, a UFO has landed there. Yeah. And yeah. We, it, it, they started like that. So this started like a joke, but then it became very, very big because uh, other people started to create uh, shapes, complex shapes and so on. And uh, as I was explaining before, this is very intriguing, not only a religious part is put in place by the people that visit the formation, but also by the circle maker, because when I went in the UK, I took part in some uh, oration. So before creating the circle, all the circle makers together, they pray some new age God, uh, saying, you know, something like the en- uh, uh, energies above us, please yeah. give us the strength to create the formation and so on. Uh, so the people that will visit the formation will be will, will feel positive and so on. So um, it's very. This is very difficult to understand. This is very, But I was there and it was very very incredible for me. So mm-hmm. I was part, and then I went back to Italy and I started to create circles in Italy. <laughs> And uh,
3: I, I'm assuming you generated quite a lot of um, uh, attention with that um, back then because in the 90s it was it was quite a large, uh, largely hyped kind of thing. Is it, is, is it still uh, the, the, the case to, to some extent or, or has it has it died out somewhat?
2: Yeah, I can tell you that in England, starting in 1980, 1999 uh, was a very famous year because Doug and Dave revealed to the world that they started this so um, some people thought that uh, okay the story is finished but didn't finish it goes over and over again and uh, in Italy actually you know the golden era of the crop circle was uh, from 2000 to 2007 and so on but now it's kind of um, faded out but it's still there okay um, even maybe in Italy, because they know that I create crop circles, so they know that uh, when when they saw something, when they see something like that, okay, it's against Francesco Grassi that's yeah, creating yeah, yeah. the circle. But uh, I have uh, enemies all around the world that uh, say this is real, and you are. Uh, an imposter, I'm you're are fraud. fraud, you're frauding because this is alien, this is energy, so it's not, you are faking us, okay? So I have to fight with this guy, trying to prove that I created this script circle, this is paradoxical, you know, because I create and uh, I have to prove that I created all, all the drawings, photographs, and they say, no, it's a fake photograph, video, it's a fake video and so on. So I've uh, kind of a lot of enemies around the world now, not only in Italy, but around the world. <laughs>
3: That's good. And have have you got any followers here in the country?
2: Yeah, yeah. A lot of people uh, started like believers, yeah? I can tell you that uh, not hundreds, but uh, dozens uh, changed their mind after my researches. So they followed. At the beginning was, you know, kind of, uh, uh, let let me check, let me check. So they... Uh, found at the end that uh, that was uh, the right way to investigate uh, the phenomenon.
3: And any followers uh, with regards to making the crop circles? So, uh, do you think there are any others who have uh, taken up the habit of uh, doing them, creating
2: them? Yeah, in Italy, in Italy, yeah, there are other circle makers. I know some one of them, mm-hmm. not personally, but by uh, you know, the internet. They, yeah. they, they, they 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 ask some uh, technique. Uh, how do you do that uh, i can uh, i do that so we can share some information and uh, but there is uh, you know kind of um, uh, a parallel um, activity in italy so i can say not, i not don't, i don't know if now it's true but uh, uh UK is the first nation for the, the the crop circles, and maybe Italy is the second uh, position. So we are uh, we are at the top. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Have you ever
3: had any issues with uh, with uh, the owners of those lands? Mm, it,
2: it 's illegal to make to create crop circles because you go into some field you create you, 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 have, you create damages you know but uh, in this case, I had the permission uh, of the of the farmer or in, so, in some case uh, in this case I shouldn 't reveal because otherwise he, he would reveal, so that was not uh, good for the social experiment, so in this case. Uh, later, I, I put everything in place, but usually I tend to uh, check the permission, ask the permission, go there when I have the permissions. so everything is, uh, is okay. But uh, you know, in UK, you go in one field, like uh, the spray art, like uh, the graffiti, it's exactly the same thing. You go in, uh, in, in, in something that is owned by the farm field, and you create the, 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 wa- the artwork, and you go, go outside during the night.
3: That's brilliant, uh, Francesco Grassi, Thank you very much, and uh, I believe your book is available both in Italian and in English.
2: Yeah. In English, it's available uh, as e-book onto Amazon, so you can you can you can check. It's very cheap, and I suggest you. You have to spend few euros because uh, it's full of any information. You are, if you are curious on the crop circle, you will find everything. If you are not curious about the crop circles, you will find a lot of examples showing that uh, how the minds works uh, around, um, you know, the religion, uh, how they create the system belief. And this is the main important thing that I found uh, during the, this, this experiment, these researches.
3: Sounds very, very interesting. Francesco, thank you very much. And um, hope to see you around during the weekend. Yeah,
2: thank you. See you. See you. Cheers. Bye Bye bye.
3: Here we are on the second day of Cheek Fest in Cesena, in Italy, and uh, I just heard a fantastic talk by two gentlemen, um, historian uh, Francesco Paolo de Ceglia and Luigi Garlaschelli on the blood miracle, quote-unquote, of San Gennaro in uh, Naples, who's the uh, patron saint. And here with me is uh, Francesco Paolo de Ceglia.
4: Uh, y- you are a historian. Science historian, at the University of Bari. Bari in Italy. Oh, that far down in the south.
3: And um, do you work with um, religious uh, um, stories and religious uh, issues in general? Or for some reason, San Gennaro's story is something that appeals to you? it 's a
4: strange story because I was working on history of medicine mm-hmm. and on history of phenomena connected with the blood, and I was in Germany and I was studying was working on the history of vampirism, and you yeah. know <laughs> we have many uh, Postmortem phenomena connected with the blood. And through the vampirism, I discovered the history of Saint Januarius because it is a, a reverberance of the blood after the death. And it is very similar to the history of vampirism because in the 18th century, in particular, uh, Catholics didn't believe in vampires. But they believe in the action of the, of the relics, okay. so of the blood of St. Januarius, for instance. And on the contrary, Protestants didn't believe in the blood of St. Januarius in this particular action, but they believed in vampires. Oh, so... Yeah. From an anthropological point of view, it is the same. So the necessity to believe that something can live after death too, the blood in particular. But in the Catholic countries, we had this this kind of beliefs. And in particular, as far as the the miracle of St. Januarius is concerned, we can say that... It was discovered at the end of the Middle Ages. In the the, the first source comes from uh, 1389. And excuse me, he was
3: a was he an early martyr of of uh, Christians?
4: Yes, this is the legend. We don't know if it is okay. the, the the right history. But the the what is strange is yes, the fact that we, the, the Neapolitans, knew the bones of Saint Januarius, so the relics in general, so they they spoke in the different uh, sources of the bones of Saint Januarius of the head of Saint Januarius too, but they never spoke of the of the blood. And after one thousand years, we find this, uh, this, this blood and it is already liquefied. We have this, this source in which you can read we have found this blood, which is the blood of St. Januarius and it is liquefied but we had uh, we, we, we found another source and it is it was written I think five years earlier and we didn't say anything so perhaps the blood was discovered in that period, and in the in the first sources, we found we can find only this. You know, a surprise to find something which is supposed to be dead and it is living, so to say. Afterwards, after um, uh, half a century. Um, they created, they rationalized this miracle, and they had a procession with the head of, of Saint Januarius, and they uh, brought this head to a, a church, and they added the, the blood. So, in the in the evening, the. the the bishop of, of Naples went to the church with the blood and when the blood recognized the, the head, it liquefied. So it was the sympathy, you know, between the two relics of the same saint. So the the core of the miracle in the early modern age was the action at a distance between the two relics. Then In particular, the Jesuits thought that the the miracle uh, happened in the dates which were the dates devoted to the the saint, the liturgical dates of the saint. So they thought that the dates caused the, the, the liquefaction. That's why now we understand, we think that uh, the, the, the blood can liquefy only in certain dates, uh, on certain, under certain circumstances.
3: I understand this has become a very integral part of uh, the lives of uh, Napolitan people. So they believe in this uh, miracle generally. But there is a scientific theory behind that, or at least two theories that we heard of um, on the stage. So what are these theories?
4: So we have many theories, but the most important theory, I think, is the theory of gardner in particular, and it is the tixotropic theory. That is, he thinks that the, the blood is not real blood, but, but it is an artificial substance, which is uh, tixotropic, that is, it can liquefy under um, a mechanical action, you know, when the, the, uh, the vial is shaken by, by the priests. And it is a theory, but I think that the, the, the right theory is another, that is, a theory... Uh, which says that the blood uh, can liquefy, uh, but only because of the heat, because it is a a thermal theory. You know, the blood liquefies three times uh, a year, so in December, in May, and in September. Last December, the blood didn't liquefy, and it is quite common that in December the blood uh, does not liquefy. In May it uh, liquefies very slowly and it happened this May. And uh, in September it, uh, it is found already liquefied when it is extracted uh, from the, the tabernacle in which it is conserved. So and that corresponds
3: very well with, uh, with uh, the temperature yeah. uh, peaks of, of the year, right? Uh, yes,
4: it is a thermometer, you know, Montesquieu. Too uh, had this th- this impression. It is not perfect because the mechanical action is important too, and you know, it is, so to say. Isolated because we have the reliquary and then a sort of a little bit of room and another reliquary inside. Mm. So the heat uh, does not pass so easily okay, so inside. It's, it's somewhat insulated. Yeah. Oh, okay. So perhaps it is not perfect as a thermometer, but it is so. And perhaps the uh, tixotropy has plays a a, a role too but I I don't think that it is so important
3: Is there a way of of actually finding that out? So um, how much access do researchers have to San
4: Gennarius uh, blood? So it it is a good question I don't have a good answer but I can say that I am an historian so I I Worked on the documents. And I have to admit that uh, uh, people in the uh, archives of the Treasury of Saint Gennaro uh, were very kind toward me. So they uh, let me access the documents. And as far as the direct access uh, is concerned, so, um, I, I cannot say, but I know that uh, Garlascali asked to, to check the reliquary, and uh, he had no possibility to do it. So, it is very difficult. Some uh, scientists had the possibility to, to check, but uh, they were not, so to say, superpartists, so they were connected with the, the bishop, so, if you if you are not in the milieu of the bishop, it is difficult to to work on Saint Um
3: Was there? Um, if I understood correctly, um, unfortunately, my my uh, Italian is not very strong. <laughs> but if I understood correctly. Um, Galas Kelly told us about uh, spectral analysis okay. yeah. and um, and weight measurements. The former confirmed that it's probably not blood because it, it gave up a completely different uh, spectrum. Uh, the other one was that um, the weight did not change within the limits of uh, the accuracy of the of the scales. Is that?
4: What's the case? So, did I understand, understand it correctly? Partially because we had two uh, different spectral analyses. Okay. The first is, uh, w- w- was made in 1902, but we oh, wow. have no images mm-hmm. of it, of course. So, we have uh, some descriptions, and you know, the, the scientist who made the, this analysis was a priest and so <laughs> there might be a bit of a bias there <laughs> yeah. oh little bit <laughs> and then in 1988 we had a second spectroanalysis uh, but uh, it was made by the same scientist uh, who discovered uh, the blood group of Christ uh, on the uh, uh, shroud of Turin. <laughs> so you know, okay. and we have some some pictures uh, of this analysis. But it is strange because in 1988 he used. Um, the same uh, spectroscope which was used by the first person. So it was a, a, an old spectroscope. He had the possibility to use a different instrument, but we don't know why he used an old instrument. So these analysis are not very clear. We have the impression that there is some blood inside. But the fact that that, uh, there could be some blood in the vial doesn't imply that it is only blood or human blood or blood not worked in some way, you know. Uh, So I think that there could be some, some blood, but it is not only blood. And, you know, in Naples, in that period, in the period uh, we had the, the first sources of the uh, on the miracle, there was a community of alchemists who came from the Greece. So the, the, they were Byzantine, arrived to, to Naples. Was it the 16th century? Uh, you mentioned the Jesuits as well. Uh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... We know, and it is certain, that this, this community made a, a biography of St. Januarius, which was false, and it was published in the 18th century. Okay. So we can uh, think that they, 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 they made a, a blood, too. We, we don't know, but we know that the blood appears magically only after 1,000 years after the purported death of St. Januarius. And it is strange enough. <laughs> but um, you also uh, wrote a book yeah. on this.
3: Uh... Uh, what is the title? Is it is it available in English as well
4: or uh, only yeah. Italian? Only in Italian. It is the the secret of Saint Januarius, the natural history of a miracle. Mm-hmm. It is. But we, we I wrote a, a, a couple of articles which 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 are available in English too on okay. the history of the miracle and. Uh, on the history of people who tried, above all in the 18th and the 19th centuries, to create some blood which was similar to the blood of Saint Januarius, so who had this kind of behavior. Uh, for instance, Caspar uh, Neumann. Uh, who was the apothecary of the king of Prussia, so he was a a great scientist in the 18th century, Uh, made a a, a fake plot, and he, in the Academy of Science of Berlin, he set up a sort of theatrical moment after a banquet uh, with a head... Of a dead skull and the the, fake blood, because we we said that the blood was supposed to liquefy in the presence of the skull. skull. So he tried to to do some some mockeries towards the the Catholics. And so there was this important theatrical moment, and all the scientists. Uh, found that the phenomenon was the same than the italian one so i think that the problem that of, of the miracle of saint uh, saint gianuarios is the fact that church didn't allow people to study the the, the the miracle of uh, so the, the relics uh, but probably for a good reason <laughs> yes but scientists too didn't want to discover something because they tried to mimic the miracle not to reproduce the miracle so they took the most uh, apparent elements the most uh, external elements of the of the miracle and uh, created some uh, theatrical moments uh, you know in the In the houses of the noblemen or the noble people in the 18th century, it was a way to fight against Catholicism, against Rome, against the stupidity of the people who lived in the the South. But uh, if you study the documents, uh, which are manuscripts, in the treasury of St. Januaries in the archives, you can find that there is this trend, thermical trend, a thermal turn, a trend. So it is only a matter of historical attention. And I'm not so interested uh, in knowing what is uh, conserved in the vial okay. For me it is a mystery But I know that it cannot be a miracle Because a miracle Cannot be different In summer or in winter yeah. And it's enough for me For the rest I'm, I'm happy that the, the Neapolitans Can believe in something Because you know uh, Naples is a very uh, Hard Town, a very hard city to live in, and so it is a, a civic, a symbol, a urban symbol too. And I'm happy that people believe in the in the power of Saint Januarius, but the, the church too now says that it is not a miracle but a prodigy. So that is something which you can believe in, but it is not so important from, from, from this point of view. So in any case, I think that heat is very important for the, the liquefaction of the, of the blood of St. Januarius. And I, I suggest people to read my articles and my book about it. Um,
3: yeah, and I do encourage everyone to do that. Um, to check out everything that uh, has been written on it. Just one more question before we go. I understand he's not the only one around that area who has this miracle that is not accepted as an um, official miracle by by the church. It's interesting we could even um, ask the Holy Father himself, because he's in, he's in town now. So is it very similar? Uh, which, which one was before? In, uh, are there any
4: others, or it's only San Gennaro and San Pantaleone? Uh, we have, and above all, we had been blood miracles in that area, and St. Januarius was, was the first and then the other copied the model. Aww. So, you know, uh, Saint, the, the blood of St. Januarius liquefied in the presence of the head. So, for instance, the blood of St. Patricia liquefied uh, in the presence of the, uh, of the teeth. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the blood of St. Bartholomew uh, liquefied in the presence of the skin. The, the blood of St. John liquefied in the presence of the ribs and so on. Wow, so I did they cope with the all yes. Okay. And when in the in the seventeenth century uh, Jean-Jacques Bouchard, who was a, a, a Frenchman, came to Naples. Uh, he called the city the city of bloods because there were so many bloods boiling. Because in the past, we find in the sources that then don't say the blood liquefied, but the blood boiled. Okay, because there is this this boiling, apparent boiling of the blood. And uh, we have many bloods, but for for the most part, they do not liquefy anymore. But for instance, the the blood of Saint Pantaleone liquefies. uh, The the blood of Saint Lawrence in Amaseno liquefied. And we have this fantastic blood uh, of Saint Patricia in Naples in the church of uh, San Gregorio Armeno. The strange is that now we know for certain that St. Patricia is only a myth because it is the Christian version of a Greek myth of um, a mythological figure, you know. But we have this blood... We have another mystery inside the mystery because, uh, according to the legend, we had two different bloods of Saint Patricia and only one liquefied. So there was a, a big vial, but during the the last war, this blood was taken away because they they, they didn't want to to give this uh, this blood to, to the Germans during the war, huh? and um, they used the other vial, which have not liquefied till that moment. And in that period, so during the war, it began uh, to liquefy, and now the, 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 the blood which liquefies is this second blood and not the first one. so the the blood uh, which we uh, venerate is not the original uh, blood of Saint Patricia who did not exist) <laughs> But the second blood of a person who did not exist Well, I think we can establish it's not only God But only his believers who work in mysterious ways, right? Of course, yes Because if you have a miracle I think that it's not the saint who makes the miracles But the miracles Make the saint. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So in this case, we had the miracles, and then we have we we we, we found Santa Patrizia, and it is the same for for, for Saint Januarius. We don't know anything about him, <laughs> but we have uh, the 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 blood which is miraculous. So we build the history of Saint Januarius, who was a martyr, and so on. And, you know, now we have uh, TV series uh, and other stuff like that. In the past, they, you know, exercise their uh, fantasy, uh, constructing history and this kind of mythography. Now, I totally understand why
3: you're into the the history of belief and uh, these um, societal phenomena. Well, Francesco Paolo...
4: Celia, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. It's been fantastic having this chat with you. Thank you very much and viva San Gennaro. <laughs> <laughs> viva San Gennaro. Thank you.
3: We're still here in Cesena, in Italy, and Chicup Fest is unfortunately over by now, but uh, the gentleman who's uh, standing right, right in front of me uh, is probably um, kind of happy that it's, that it's over, <laughs> <laughs> um, being uh, the, the leader of the organization that was responsible for running the event. Massimo Polidoro, hey. uh, hi. Hi, how are you? Uh very well, thank you. And thank you very much. Uh I it was a fantastic experience for me. Thank you. Um, so I congratulate you for uh, for this event and your your organization. You've got quite a good team and a large team as well. <laughs> yes, it's a large team. Uh, you know, this is a very big event. There were uh,
5: like 800 people. Oh my God! Yes, it was sold out. We didn't have any more <laughs> space left. You know, this morning there was a gentleman coming in town. Um, he had a huge following, but uh, we couldn't find place for him. He was all dressed in white. I'm not sure if you if you spotted him.
3: All dressed in wine. Yes, you
5: know. he was chanting and there was all these people... Ah, yeah, yeah, no, he lives yeah, okay. in Rome, in a very big place.
3: That, that sounds vaguely familiar. Okay, yeah, yeah. well, anyway,
5: <laughs> there was no... So we're no talking Rome, about the Pope. Of course. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he was here, but well, he was
5: actually here today. And, you know, <laughs> but eventually... It, it all went well, the, the organization was, worked fine and everybody seemed to be happy. So has it been the largest event so far? So, is it? Yes, it's been the largest so far and it's been a, a departure from what we did two years ago, for example, which was a regular convention, let's say, with speakers and, uh, and talks. And uh, at this time we wanted to, to go into the city and do more things around town the main events were at this uh, beautiful Italian theater uh, you know like the Opera House with all the uh, which is a nice very nice place and, uh, and there were many talks but there were also shows and music and magic and uh, performances of various kinds And but also in other locations there were other lectures there, was, uh, there were workshops and laboratories for kids uh, there was an exhibition on optical illusions there were lots of things in, in order to you know, awake the the curiosity of the passerby, but also the somebody who doesn't know who, what chic-up is, and yeah. uh, maybe just just stumble upon it and they say, "Oh,
3: this is interesting." And is it something that you intend to keep up?
5: Yes, you know, in Italy we have, um, especially in the middle season, let's say, which is uh, in the fall in the spring, uh, what we call festivals. Which is well, you have in other countries, of course, but in Italy there are so many little towns, bigger towns that have festivals on literature, on philosophy, on, uh, on whatever you—food. Th- <laughs> Lots of festivals on food, but uh, there was a big festival on science in Genoa, which is a, a, a bit not uh, not as huge as it was, and uh, you know, but the interest in science is very high, and the more you open. The the topics you you are uh, you are dealing with you're not you not confined yourself only with pseudoscience and paranormal and uh, and and you you know give the chance to the people to to really feel how science can be exciting and uh, and uh, fascinating uh, the more people you get mm-hmm. and that's I think is a direction that we're going to explore even more.
3: That sounds very, very interesting and, and very useful as well. So, for example, what one thing I I I spotted, um, I just realized it today, that some of the talks were not necessarily for skeptics, because it, they sounded like skepticism 101. Uh, but it's I then I realized that there must be a lot of people who are not even affiliated with the organization, they have probably no idea what skepticism is all about. Is that, is that how, how it was?
5: Yes, that's exactly... We think that, we're, that there were many people who didn't exactly know what Chicap was and they were maybe attracted by the names that we had because mm-hmm. many of the names that we had in, uh, in this fest were very popular and are very popular in the, to the Italian public journalists uh, musicians uh, actors um, directors we had very you know, for example one of the um, uh, surprise guests that we had in a video in this occasion was uh, the winner of the sanremo festival which is a music festival very very famous here in italy and the, the winner is a very comedic kind of uh, musician and he sent us a message telling us he was with us it is, uh, you know, he just wrote a song that was on conspiracy theories debunking everything so it was very online and it was nice to receive this uh, message and then there was another one which is a, an actor and a director who is very popular. You cannot walk in the street because kids and everybody run to him, want to take selfies. And we made him appear suddenly last night during the magic show and everybody was <laughs> excited. So these are many surprises that we, that we luckily we can have because uh, we are becoming more uh, appealing, mm-hmm. let's say. Because before, when we dealt only with paranormal, we always appeared to be Those that uh, say that nothing is real. (laughs) When we started changing this uh, uh, approach, things also from our side, of course, and we started to be perceived more and more like those are those that like science. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. They stand
3: for science.
5: There's more interest.
3: Yeah, but there, there, there was still a very strong skeptical element to it. So oh, yeah. it's not, it oh, was absolutely. not a pure science no, event. No, no,
5: no. no. We yeah. had you know, talks on Saint January's blood. We had talks yeah. on uh, homeopathy, on vaccines, on uh, conspiracy theories, yeah. uh, on anything you can find today. in uh, in the skeptical movement, of course. And the speakers were uh, very high, high-level speakers. We had uh, many good friends coming over also from the uh, United States, like Massimo Pigliucci, oh, yeah. uh, Susan Gerbic, uh, and of course, the amazing one.
3: Oh. <laughs> You know, however, now that you mention Randy, <laughs> yeah. um, it was quite, quite um, a fascinating experience uh, following him all the way from Wrocław, from <laughs> uh, exactly. and you, of course, yeah. uh, from Wrocław to here. And uh, the other day we, we um, came across one another and he, he just gave me the look that, oh, not again. <laughs> but... <laughs> I thought I lost him there. <laughs> But uh, what I what I've, I've noticed, and I couldn't help help but notice that um, he wasn't the greatest star here, and that's <laughs> that's that's a very new experience in a skeptical mm. convention. Mm. <laughs>
5: we have somebody who is uh, who is very who is very big here yeah. in Italy, it's Piero Angela, and he's very big not not only among skeptics; he's very big among every single person that it is in Italy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's. He's a not only a very famous science journalist. He's one of the most famous person that you uh, have on TV since TV started in the 1950s. Because he was there from the beginning. And so everybody feels towards Piero like he's from family. Yeah. And, you know, when they have uh, uh, surveys on uh, who would you like to have as a president, he's number one. Wow. Uh, who would you lend and money still to? still he is not. He <laughs> it it, well, you know, it, it runs away from any, any kind of political mm. involvement, mm. because he understands very well what that means and uh, what it, uh, it involves, and he just loves science and wants to talk about science and
3: reason. Mm. Well, to sum it up, it, it has been a fantastic experience. Oh, um, <laughs> what's next?
5: That's a good question. Next is a little bit of a vacation from this, not from millions of other things that we're doing. But soon we have to start thinking about our next one. And it cannot be, uh, we cannot go back. Uh, We have to go this way and we'll see. We'll see because uh, this is an event that has to be every year. And now we've always been doing it every two years because it's so so big and and it takes so, so much energy. But uh, that's probably the direction. I'm afraid.
3: <laughs> well, I'm I'm gonna start learning Italian uh, yes. or practicing you? practicing my Italian. Right. because so you, that
5: you know Italian already.
3: I think I understood about seventy percent of, of, of what was said. Uh, my problem is always um, conversing with people because okay. uh, speaking is more always more difficult. Um, but next year, if you organize yeah. it next year, yeah, I'm I'm gonna enroll again and that's I'm great. gonna <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna buy ticket. Thanks very much, Massimo, and I um, I, I wish you a, a, a bit of out um, after this, um, a bit of bit of downtime. Just a couple of days. Of just least. a couple of days, and uh, hope to see you again
5: soon. somewhere. Absolutely, it'd be my pleasure, and uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon, and uh, everybody here listening. Bye, friends. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Andrzej. And I think, uh, well, I'll I'll try to maybe uh, make plans for next year to go to Italy because I love Italy. Mm, I have to say. Oh yeah, it's one of my it's one of my favorite countries to be fair. And now they have this festival to go to, uh, conference to go oh, to I, as well.
1: I'm not sure they have announced anything for next year anyway, but uh, yet. But, but, but if
0: they do announce, if they
1: it. do, I think that's something to go to. Yeah.
0: But uh, please uh, look out for other great events around Europe in our calendar on our website, which is www.esp.eu, uh, and it's been updated regularly with all the Skeptics events across Europe, and talking about Skeptics events across the Europe that's coming up. Mm-hmm.
1: There's one coming up uh, less than two weeks from now, that's and right. that is uh, RATIO in, uh, in uh, Sofia, in Sofia, Bulgaria. Sofia,
0: Bulgaria, yeah. Exactly. Um, where me and Pontus yeah. will we- be.
1: We've been invited to to, um, take part in a panel debate about uh, the vaccination situation in Europe. It'll be very, very interesting.
0: Yeah, so we've mentioned that before, but for those who haven't heard or um, just to remind you, um, there's still a couple of days left. Uh, well, a f- few days left before the event. Um, the tickets are at the moment quite cheap, and uh, my understanding is that the Sofia is quite a cheap place to go to. So
4: yeah, absolutely. It's, it's
0: not gonna. It's not gonna break anybody's bank, I guess. Um, yeah, and come it's, out.
1: Yeah, and it's not just uh, us. You can see there. There is Dr. Stephen Goldfarb, who is a yeah. uh, particle physicist uh, working at CERN. So and of
0: course um Chris French who we all know French. and love absolutely
1: yeah yeah so he, he is uh, if you don't know he is a psychologist and and specializes in paranormal psychology at the Goldsmiths University in London and there is a guy called Udrivolf Pika who works with the European Commission uh which uh and leads a program called Copernicus together with the European Space Agency so it's really high high uh, well apart from us there are people who actually know what they're talking about <laughs>
0: <laughs> a lot of scientists um and experts in the field there um and what they're trying to do they're just trying to basically popularize science and get people excited about scientific topics but yeah, yeah
1: i don't think we mentioned it it's on the 5th of november it's a one day event i'm going to arrive a day early on the, on the saturday and um
0: so am i yeah. yeah
1: so we will probably meet up on 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 saturday night then and do something yeah. fun and if any of our listeners will be there on saturday night maybe we can do something together so yeah absolutely. get in touch
0: Let's meet up. Um, and I think that'll be it for this show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and will join us next uh, time uh, when Andres is around as well. Um, but I think that's it from me and Pontus for now. Thank you, Pontus. Thank you. All right. Goodbye.
1: Bye-bye.
2: Join us at the Denkfest Science Festival in Zurich in early November. How did discoveries in astronomy shatter our worldview? How rationally can we really think with our brains? Was the Reformation a necessary predecessor to the Enlightenment? And does Islam need a reform? How does a homeopath cope when she realizes that the discipline she studied can't keep its promises? 20 talks and panels on these and other questions from 2nd to 5th of November. As an ESP listener, you get a 10% discount with the code DF-FRIENDS. Students and individuals without income get 25% off. See denkfest.ch for details.